0: Sometimes praise and worship starts at a young age, and, and from the heart at a young age. I remember when Brianna was a young little girl, uh, at least uh, younger than four, no older than five, but uh, around that age, she used to sing about many things. A lot of things would come to her mind and she just put it into music. She'd just start singing. Her life seemed to be one long musical, and anyone nearby was basically her audience. Now, I've asked permission if I could show this, but I wanted to give you an example of what I'm talking about as far as praise and worship coming from a young heart. Uh, Watch this. Now, Bree is using that God-given talent uh, these days. Uh, pretty cute in that, that video, though. But these days, she's using the God-given talent in leading the worship songs during our online service. Her and her sister, Maddie, doing that. Uh, Bree is also part of uh, singing in the uh, school choir and quartet there, using her voice in that way. And she's also using her voice and her skill at playing guitar in the chapel band there at her school. So this little girl who uh, used to sing songs to anyone at any time has now uh, grown up to be a girl who's now using God's uh, giftedness in her life to glorify Him in, in all ways. So it's just interesting and wonderful seeing all that come about. But, you know, praise and worship of God really impacts a person's life and you can see it in her life. You know, I chose this location here because it brings a familiar setting for, for church service. This looks familiar. You're sitting in the pews here and you get to see me at this level and uh, able to um, interact in that way. And the location also reminds me of the times we would worship here and uh, worship God in song and in music and singing. And you know you'd have Annie over in the corner there and she'd be leading singing, making sure that everyone's in order and, and, and singing it, beautiful voice, following the words, seeing them about the screen there and, and keeping all of us in, on the band in line as well too. Uh, you had Annie leading singing. You had me at the keyboard trying to make sure I'm keeping up with everyone else and uh, just enjoying the time. And it, it was, it's just such a, a, an enjoyable time for me when I'm at the keyboard and playing, uh, especially with the rest of the band as well. But uh, So me at the keyboard there. Then, of course, you got Neil on the bass, right? Neil that shows us what it really means to worship in uh, God in music and song and singing. He, uh, he can be so enthusiastic in that, and it's just, it's inspiring. And then, of course, you've got Jake on the drums, sitting back there doing his thing and uh, just enjoying his time, sometimes closing his eyes and just enjoying the, the, the worship time as well. But uh, another guy who's just skilled and gifted in uh, in that area of uh, drumming, I just, that percussion thing, just I just don't understand I'm trying to get that all together. But Coordination for me is not there with that. And then, of course, you have Ron and Dale on the guitars, and they've given us some good moments there as uh, they've uh, played through some songs with us. And, of course, Ron doing his little fillers and and other things like that, and maybe some solos going on. But all that coming together to form a time where we've We've worshiped God in music and singing, and it's just been a great time. Those were some good, good times, and I can't wait get, wait to get back together again and, and uh, be able to participate in that type of thing again. So I miss that. And uh, that's one thing, though, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating as we come back together be able to worship God in, in music and song. And, and again, praise and worship of God really impacts a person's life. And as we worship God, and not just singing, of course, and all that, but as we worship God in our lives as well, it really impacts a person's life. But as I'm sure you know, worship and praise is much more than just music. And uh, it also involves our actions, and also involves our our words, you know, what we do and what we say. Um, You know, I've shared with you all before about some of the bulletin bloopers. I've read those before in in certain messages as, as well. And, you know... Those things that have happened in church bulletins that make you laugh. Things like the peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. And then, you know, the other announcement don't let worry kill you, let the church help. Yeah. And then uh, another one that's kind of new to me. I haven't seen this one before. Um, but it says ushers will eat latecomers. Ushers will eat latecomers. I think they mean meet or greet. Anyway. And that would be awful if they did what it says. But uh, you know, these days all you need uh, is a text message that gets autocorrected, and you realize the importance of words. Uh, language is so powerful. A misplaced letter or word can make us laugh or make us cry. Uh, words can communicate uh, humor or holiness, sorrow or even singing, we have we have seen the importance of words and how weighty they can be as we have journeyed through this series of a summer of psalms, and, uh, and you know, as we conclude this series, a uh, summer of psalms, we find ourselves in the first of a group of psalms called. Praise Psalms, and there are Psalms 145 through 150, basically. Now, there's some others scattered through, through the book of Psalms as well, but these are grouped towards the end, Psalm 145 through 150. And if you've ever needed a motivation to praise God, these are the Psalms to go to. Now, this morning, as we take a look at Psalm 145, a praise psalm written by David, we will see that uh, worship is designed to radically impact our lives. And whether you feel like it or not, we are to praise God with everything we have. So worship, again, worship is designed to radically impact our lives. And whether you feel like it or not, we are to praise God with everything we have. So turn with me to Psalm 145 and we'll go through it together as we continue our time here together. And uh, yeah, we'll just kind of take it as we go in this message. So first, the, before we get to that point, let, let me look at some background with you to this in the psalm before we continue on. Uh, some background to get you familiar with Psalm 145. Now the psalm is an alphabetical acrostic. We've seen this before. In fact, we did one of the psalms before on this. And what this means is that David begins with each verse with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We've seen this. And sometimes preachers are made fun of for their acrostics or alliteration. And actually, we're just trying to be like David, right? But if you've ever tried to write poetry, you know that it takes a lot of thought and attention to detail to express what is on your heart. And I can't imagine how long this took David to do but I'm sure he, he tackled it with some vigor. And by the way, these kind of literacy devices enable the listener or reader uh, to remember the content a bit more easily. And that's the goal when you hear a preacher use alliteration to express the points of a message. So I'm not trying to show off, just trying to help you understand and remember the different points of a message. David's attempt to use all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet uh, didn't quite work out. There's one, one letter missing in this. But maybe he did it on purpose so that we don't focus so much on the structure that we miss the content. Or maybe he just couldn't find an appropriate word that started with that letter. I don't know, maybe. But that takes some pressure off us pastors when we can't make that last point of a sermon start with the letter X. That's a difficult one. But Psalm 96, verse 1, tells us to sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Now Psalm 145 could be considered that new song, as Psalm 96 encourages us to break out into fresh expressions of God's creative beauty and awesome character. Psalm 145 does that through its structure and message. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Another background point I want to share with you here is that this is really David's crown jewel of praise. It's the last psalm that has David's name associated with it, and the title, a psalm of praise, is used only with this one. Now It is characterized by praise, not thanksgiving or even prayer. It's set apart for a specific purpose. Much like Psalm Psalm 86 is referred to as a prayer of David. And then a third point here, background point I wanna bring to your attention is that this Psalm has a special blessing associated with it. According to the ancient Israelites who recited this Psalm twice in the morning and once in the evening, a person who sang this Psalm out loud uh, three different times during the day would be happy would be happy, joyful. Now, while I'm not sure uh, we would have have many takers for reading this Psalm three times a day, let alone sing it, uh, but three times a day for a month, I wouldn't doubt that those who did take that challenge would become more joyful or at least have an attitude adjustment. You read through Psalm 145, you're gonna have that attitude adjustment realizing who God is and and the wonderful God we serve. So while I'm not going to use an alphabetic uh, acrostic here uh, from, from our alphabet this morning, I am going to use one of those alliterated outlines so you can kind of remember the different points of this message. There are seven different truths um, or doctrinal certainties in this psalm. And as we go through each one, I want to also give an application related to each point. It will work kind of like this. Because of this truth, I will therefore do this. So because of this truth, I will do this. That's how we're going to work this out through this message and see these seven different truths laid out. So let's begin by looking at verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Now, the first truth here that we find is God's position. God's position. David, as God's king, adores Almighty God as his king above all kings. And to exalt is to set on high above all others. It's the expression of the greatest possible admiration. And the phrase forever means that David's praise has no end. But when he adds another ever to that, uh, it, it, basically he's declaring there's no end to his praise. Now, our praise of God shall be as eternal as the God we praise. Now, praise is the only activity that, we, that, that we're called to do now that will continue doing in eternity. We pray now, but there will be a time when our prayers will no longer be needed. We believe, but there will be a time when our faith will be lost in sight uh, when we see Him face to face. We hope, but a time is coming when what we hope for will come to a glorious fruition, heaven. But praise, praise is with us now and will continue in heaven. So this is practice time. This is the practice ground of praising God, because when we get to heaven, we will be doing it for eternity, and it will be wonderful. <laughs> so we are to praise Him every day, regardless of how our day looks. When we're up and everything looks good, we're to praise Him. And when we're, we're down and things look dark, we're still to praise Him. Every day is a new opportunity to praise God. C.S. Lewis says, We praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. So, because of God's position, here's the application, because of God's position, we are to praise Him daily. Because of that truth, this is what we do. Because of God's position, we are to praise Him daily. Now, the second truth that that David takes a look at here is God's power. God's power. And we see this in verses 3 through 6. It says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. Now, our our worship should be in some ways like the object of our worship. Great praise for a great God, right? There is no part of God's greatness which is not worthy of great praise. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he he said this, he said, Praise may may said to be great when the song contains great matter, when the hearts producing it are intensely fervent, and when large numbers unite in the grand acclaim. So there's no chorus or, or hymn too loud, no band or orchestra too large, no psalm too lofty for the praise of the Lord of hosts. We should be praising God greatly because He is a great God. Now, while God is great, David recognizes that no one can fathom His great power completely. When we contemplate the immensity of our God, we find ourselves surrounded by unknowable wonders. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, He said, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Now, when we understand what we can, we're challenged to pass along what we know to the next generation. You know, our children, we wanted to make sure they knew about Jesus. They knew about the opportunity to have a relationship with him, that they knew about this God who was loving and just, Knew about how to get to heaven through his son Jesus Christ, knew about what heaven was going to be like and to look forward to that, but to live here on earth uh, for Jesus and to live that out in their lives. You know, we do that. We know some things and we want to teach the next generation about these things. And specifically, we're to tell those who are younger about God's works and mighty acts. Now, as parents, We are to praise God before our children and remind them of the ways that we've seen God at work in the past. Each generation is to catch the praises from the last, echo them, and then pass them along to the next generation. We're supposed to tell stories. Basically, tell stories about how good God is in our lives. About his mighty works, his mighty acts, and be able to uh, express that to our children and our children's children so that they can get an idea of who this God is that loves them so much. It is the biblical duty of of every generation of Christians to see to it that the next generation hears about the mighty acts of God. God does not just drop a Bible from heaven on every generation. He intends for the older saints to teach the newer ones to think and trust and obey and rejoice. Notice that verse 4 does not say that we are to merely teach his works. It says, commend your works to another. That means that we pass along our praise to them by commending the attractiveness of God. We should not only aim at education, but also focus on exaltation, exalting God. If teachers and parents do not exalt God in their teaching, They cannot pass it along to the next generation. Dry, unemotional, indifferent teaching about God, whether at home or here at church, does damage to our kids. It says one thing about God and then portrays another. It's inconsistent because it says that God is great but teaches us as if He's not. So there needs to be a clear message, both in, ver- in, in a verbal message, as well as actions. What we want for the next generation are not just heads filled with, with the right, right facts about the works of God. We want heads full of biblical truths and hearts, the heart is what matters, hearts that burn with the fire of love and an intensity of full devotion to Christ, which explodes into unbridled and ecstatic praise. That's where we want our children to go. That's where we want the next generation to go. Verse 5 gives us one way to make sure we stay fresh in our walk with Christ so that we can we can commend God's works to the next generation. It's through meditating on all of God's wonderful works. Biblical meditation has three main objectives. To think about what God is like, to remember what He has done, and to contemplate what he has said, what, what God is like, uh, what he has done, and what he has said. Those things are involved with uh, biblical meditation. And meditation will renew your mind so that you can think and act more like Christ. Here's, here's the application then, the point number two. Uh, because of God's power, because of God's power, we are to disciple our kids, because of God's power, we are to disciple our kids. And a third truth in God's in, in this uh, in Psalm one forty five. Third truth is God's personality, and it's found in verses seven through nine, as well as verse seventeen. It says they will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The Lord is is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. In this section of the psalm, David describes the many beautiful sides of God's personality. Listen to the words he uses. He uses goodness, righteousness, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all. Righteous, again, and loving. These attributes help us see what kind of God He is and how He deals with people. God's grace and goodness and righteousness and love and compassion are, are, are jarring and controversial to people. Our beauty is found not in us, but in Him. And so He looks down to us, all injured and blind and scarred, And tells us that we are beautiful to him. His grace, his goodness, and his righteousness and love and compassion are controversial. It's jarring to people. Because people think, no, you won't love me with all these scars, what I've done, um, how blind I am to the truth. You won't love me. But yeah, his compassion is upon you. His grace is here for you. He's a good God. All these things are very jarring and controversial in a person's life. But open your eyes up and see it and you'll you'll realize um, the God who calls your name. And because this is how God deals with us, verse seven tells us to celebrate and joyfully sing praise to him because of who he is, because he is good, because he's compassionate, because he's slow to anger, rich in love, all those things, all those things. So, because of God's personality, because of God's personality, we are to celebrate his attributes. Celebrate his attributes. Then the fourth element is God's preeminence. Preeminence from verses 10 through 13. God's preeminence. It says, All you have made will praise you, O Lord, your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. So the main point in this section is not that God is important or even prominent. It's that he is preeminent. He's over all because he has made everything. All of creation will praise him, and his saints, that's us, will extol him as as number one in our lives. God has no rivals. (laughs) He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we should live in light of this fact. And as we praise him for his works around us, we will go on to bless him for his works within us. Once we praise him for his preeminence in our lives, we will want to tell others about the glory of his kingdom. When we speak freely of God's might, as, as, as the psalm says, all men may know of your mighty acts in the glorious splendor of your kingdom. David is saying that there is a direct link between our heart and our tongue. And we speak about what is in our heart. Now, Some people really love to talk about sports, right? Others, like, you know, they talk a lot about their family. They start getting the pictures out and showing you the grandchildren or whatever else, right? There's some that talk about parties. Some talk about their lawn or maybe their cars or maybe their houses. And still others focus their words on money or maybe even the weather. But if you want to know what someone holds dear, just listen to what they talk about. Ask them, ask them some questions and get them talking and they'll start letting you know what's in their heart, what they really value. Proverbs 16, verse 23 puts it this way. He says, A wise man's heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. So if our hearts are set on wisdom and on praise, our mouths will speak accordingly. (laughs) If our hearts are set on other things, that will come out as well. That's why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, challenges us to guard our heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, if our hearts were full of God, then our tongues wouldn't be able to stop talking about him to others. I recently heard a great definition for evangelism. <laughs> it goes like this. Evangelism is what spills over when you bump into someone. Evangelism is what spills over when you bump into someone. If we are true, if we truly want verse 12 to be fulfilled and have all men know of his mighty acts, then it's critical and crucial that we cultivate a lifestyle of praise and adoration to God. Then when we bump into others, our words will flow from our hearts and will spill over with his love and grace. Someone has said, if Christians praise God more, the world would doubt Him less. I believe that. But here's the application to this point, point number four. Because of God's preeminence, we will tell others about Him. Because of God's preeminence, we will tell others about Him. Now, the next part of the psalm that we find here in verses 14 through 16 is the next truth that we can find here. And it's God's provision. God's provision, verses 14 through 16. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down, the eyes of all who look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Now, this section follows the power and preeminence of God with its emphasis upon His provision. While God is extremely powerful and awesome, he's also tender and attentive to the needs of his people. Have you, have you fallen recently? Have you stumbled in your walk? Are you bowed down with a weight of problems and difficulties? I can't imagine you're not, especially in this year of COVID-19 and everything else going on that's changed in your life. But if so, if so, turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to Jesus, and he will provide what you need. He will uphold you when you fall and lift you up when you're overwhelmed. The key is to look up. <laughs> the key is to look up. Matthew 12, verse 20, gives a great word picture when Jesus referred to how he deals with hurting people. Quotes from Isaiah, and he says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick He will not snuff out. God does not willingly withhold any good thing from his children. David praises him for for his open hand that satisfies the desires of every living thing. And this is also a wonderful picture uh, before us here. Instead of giving grudgingly or, or a little at a time, God takes his hand and opens it up completely, completely to us. I've seen Ransom, or grandson, when when Amanda is feeding him one of his favorite snacks. He's got these little snacks. I don't know what you call them, but little things. I tasted one before because I was curious. You put it in your mouth, and it just dissolves into mush right away. But he loves them, especially the blueberry kind. And so uh, here's here's Ransom. He's sitting in his high chair, all ready to go for some good stuff to eat. And then uh, Amanda brings out the snack, and he just about loses it. He gets he gets so excited about able to eat the, these snacks. And Amanda then doesn't hold back. He gives her gives gives a handful and just spreads it out on his little tray there in his high chair. Scatters them all over the place there on his high chair tray, and then he just eats them up, eats them up totally. God has his hands full of good things for us. And they're much better than the snacks that Ransom's eating. But when we're wiped out, when we're stressed out or maxed out, he wants us to look to him. He won't stomp on us when we're down, but he'll treat us tenderly and give us exactly what we need. Will you give your problems? Will you give yourself to him right now? Because he's waiting to open up his hands and give you what he has to meet your needs. So, because of God's provision, because of God's provision, we can trust him with our problems. Because of God's provision, we can trust him with our problems. Then, the next truth we can we find here in Psalm one forty-five is that we can hold on to this truth: is God's God's presence. God's presence, found in verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. While God is the King of the universe, He is also very near to us. When you're feeling alone, David reminds you that you are never alone. Notice that he is near to all, not just to to a special few. It's near to all. Some of you may feel that God is maybe mad at you, or that you've been disqualified from his grace, and maybe even his presence because of your sins. And that could be, nothing could be further from the truth. (laughs) He is near to all. Of course, with one qualifier. He is near to all who call on Him in truth. He is near to all who call on Him in truth. Now to call on Him in truth is to recognize that the only way to God, the Father, is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you have been born again, you have called on Him in truth. If you are a member of the family of God through conversion, you enjoy the privileges of of that relationship with a loving Father who will always be near to you. And in addition, to call on Him in truth means that you are willing to be honest and open with Him. Be truthful to Him. It means that you're not living a lie or or just going through the motions in your spiritual life. You hit some dry areas, you're truthful to Him about it. You hit some great moments, you're truthful about it with Him. When you call on him in truth, he will fulfill your desires and hear your cries for help. No one has ever cried out to Jesus and not been heard or delivered. (laughs) He hears your cry. So because of God's presence, we can pray to him. Because of God's presence, we can pray to him. And then the final truth that we find here in Psalm 145 that impacts David from this psalm of praise is God's preservation. God's preservation. And we see this in the last two verses. It says, The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. So God preserves those who, who are saved and will judge those who are not. He watches over those who he loves, and then those who are wicked he's gonna destroy. And this is kind of both comforting and frightening, isn't it? If you have been saved from your sins, if you've you've been you've been born again, you're a born again believer, you can have the confidence that God will watch over you and usher you into his presence when you die. You can be assured of your salvation, as First John 5, verse 13 states, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So when it comes to making it to heaven, it will have nothing to do with our cleverness, and our creativity, our own efforts in getting there. If we are saved, we will live with him forever, not based on what we do, but based upon what Jesus did for us. But it should be upsetting to us that while God watches over believers, he will destroy those who insist on going their own way. That should give us great motivation to tell people about Jesus. And if you have never received the gift of forgiveness, never received the gift of salvation, then then this verse is a warning to you Don't let this moment pass without getting right with God. The final verse of this psalm of praise repeats the opening chorus. It says, let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Now David does not have a monopoly on praise. He longs for every living person to praise his holy name always. So because of God's preservation, we are called to cultivate a lifestyle of praise. Because of of God's preservation, we are called to cultivate a lifestyle of praise. So now let me just back up and summarize these seven points real quickly. And as I go through them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick one. Pick one of these seven points. Pick more if you want, but at least pick one. Pick one and make it your action step for this week, what you're going to do. Let me read through them and let you think about it. Because of God's position, I will praise Him daily. Because of God's power, I will disciple my kids. Because of God's personality, I will celebrate His attributes. Because of God's preeminence, I will will tell others about Him. Because of God's provision, I will trust Him with my problems. Because of God's presence, I will pray on a regular basis. Because of God's preservation, I will cultivate a lifestyle of praise. I don't know which one you chose or which ones you've chosen, but I trust as you choose one of these, uh, these points uh, here that I've listed, that you'll take one of those and just, just live it out. Make it your action step for this week that you're going to live it out. Let your praise and worship of God make an impact on your life. Make a change. Make a difference. You know, our words are important, like I mentioned in the beginning we have the opportunity to use them in praise to God, or we can be careless and end up doing far more damage than any bulletin blooper can do, or maybe even any autocorrected text message could do. The overriding message of this psalm and these other five psalms that conclude the book of Psalms is this. Praise God with everything you have whether you feel like it or not. (laughs) Praise God with everything you have, whether you feel like it or not. Let every creature praise His holy name forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's end our time today and conclude this whole series of Summer of Psalms. I've enjoyed it. Hopefully you have as well, too. By having Brianna and Maddie lead us in one last psalm. That speaks of praising God forevermore. So let's uh, let's enjoy this song together and sing along. Take it away, girls. Maddie. Thank you, Brianna, for leading us in that song. Great song to help us focus in on praising God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would again just speak to our hearts about what has been mentioned here today. And I pray, Lord, that of the seven different points that have been made here, Lord, that we would choose one, at least one, to be able to live it out this week. Make it our action step for the week. And I pray, Lord, that as we do so, that you'd be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. And help us, Lord, to cultivate that lifestyle of praise, no matter what we do. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that the praise and worship of God will make that huge impact in our lives. Lord, be glorified. Be glorified in our lives. We love you so very much. In your name we pray. Amen. The benediction I want to leave with you uh, today is in Romans chapter 11, verse 33 and verse 36. You've already heard verse 33. I'm going to say it again, coupled with verse 36. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen.